Hello, my name is Dominique Drew, and this is The Art of Attraction, the premier podcast to elevate your relationships, your life, and yourself. I'm your host, Dominique Drew, an intuitive, a spiritual guide, and a seasoned expert in men's relationship coaching. I've used the methods in this podcast to completely transform my own life and relationships, and now, high performers in every industry hire me to help them do the same. Here, you will learn how to solve the issues in your inner world which keep you from real fulfillment, deep intimacy, freedom, and authenticity. Welcome to the next stage of your evolution. And we are live with The Art of Attraction with Dominique Drew. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so thrilled to have you join me. Today is a really exciting episode. I'm going to introduce my guest in just a moment here. So if you are familiar with the show, then welcome back. And if you are new, then by all means, welcome. This is a platform where we can examine and really identify what it is that's happening underneath the surface that is keeping us from what we want. Now, I will often in my practice gear this toward men, toward single men, toward entrepreneurial men in particular, and that particular flavor of issue. But it's really not particular to that at all. Okay, this work is about finding where we hold ourselves back from what we want and specifically what we need to do differently to get a different result. Okay, so the biggest key here is if you find yourself coming up against the same thing over and over again, you're banging your head against a wall it's time to stop and try something else. So my guest today is an expert in this, has an approach that's very similar to the work that I do and quite different from the work that I do. And I love and I'm very grateful to have him on for both reasons. So today I am speaking with transformational coach, Christian De La Huerta. He's extraordinary. He has an incredible depth of view of the process of human creation. Uh, He's a personal transformational coach. He's been on the TEDx stage. I'm right behind you. Okay. Don't even rub it in. He's the author (laughs) of this new book called Awakening the Soul of Power. Awakening the Soul of Power has come out not too long ago. And it was literally described by Gloria Estefan. Yeah, Gloria Estefan as a balm for the soul. And even just the phrasing of that. I mean, I'm so excited to read it. And of course, the list goes on. Critically acclaimed author, award-winning, you know, he's spoken at all sorts of universities and conferences. And I'm just really grateful to have the chance to sit down with him. Christian, thank you so much for joining me. Hey, Dominic. Thanks for having me on the show. Been looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I reached out to Christian a little while ago to be a guest here. And there was sort of a, a lovely little instantaneous connection, which I'm always happy to follow up on. Those are always the best. So Christian, tell us, You can dive in a little bit if you want with sort of how you work and and what you've done. Mostly, I'd really like the audience to experience how you see what I'll call self-sabotage, you may have a better word, within the human system and, you know, how to recognize it and how to move it along. Also, to put that out as the overarching arc of our call overall today. All right. Well, I've been doing retreats and workshops and working with individuals. It's been over 30 years, just, just over 30 years, and on different themes. So I, I work on relationships and how do we do relationships consciously and how do we utilize that framework, that form of the relationship to speed up our own process of transformation and spiritual growth. And also, how do we remove obstacles to love, subconscious patterns, beliefs, self-sabotaging behaviors like you're talking about 
ways that have us sometimes feeling like we're in the same boring movie, just with a different actor. But it's the same crap, the same issues, the same patterns popping up again. So I work with that. I work with personal empowerment. Like, how do we step into power in a way that's not about hierarchy, control, fear, force, domination? How do we do it in a different way that is a match for who we are that doesn't require that we push anybody down and step on them in order to feel powerful? And I work specifically with women, too, stemming from my belief, from my conviction that the empowerment of women is the single most important thing that needs to happen in the world. Not to idealize women, not to put women up on a pedestal. Women are also capable of abusing power. It's not to give women more crap that they have to clean up. It's because of the imbalance between the masculine and the feminine energies in this world uh, for the last several thousand years. And I believe that when women are in 50% of power in the world, we're going to have a very different relationship to war and poverty and hunger and how we treat the environment, et cetera, to all of it. And I do stuff on life purpose. Like how do we, how do we do, how do we step into our real soul level, mission level work? And how do we stop selling ourselves out for that illusion of security of a biweekly paycheck? Common to that all, to all of that are two things. One is breath work because I've yet to come across anything that is works as quickly and as profoundly in terms of healing past trauma. The other thing that I always include in all my retreats and workshops is understanding how the ego mind works. And this is the part that connects to your question about sabotaging patterns. Because if we want to like break free, if we want to step fully into our power, if we want to see and let go of all these subconscious drivers of behavior, if we want to understand why we do the things we do, we've got to understand how the ego mind works. And we could probably spend the whole hour just talking about that. But here's a quick visual. If you put a baseball in the center of a stadium, that's what the ego is. And who we are is actually the stadium. And we've allowed this tiny, tiny, tiny part of who we are to think that it is all who we are and to make important consequential choices from its very limited and always fear-based perspective. Here, here. Yeah, that's exactly what I have <laughs> not only learned through my study and research in this area, but have seen over and over again for in 20 years of working in this field. I think that's exactly right. What's interesting too... <laughs> For some reason, I don't know if other people feel similarly, but for me, it's really helpful, especially in the male-female observation, to note that where we are now is a, a very natural and, and logical continuation of where we were before. It's just that everything around us environmentally, socially, culturally has changed. So now the imbalance seems so crazy and ridiculous. You know, like, what do you mean, you know, men are considered more essential or stronger, the protector automatically. It's like, well, because when we were living in nomadic tribes, that made a lot of sense. I remember in class learning, I had a teacher who laid this out very clearly in this way. He's like, you know, the, the stereotype, like comedians will talk about like, guy comes home at the end of the day and wants to just like sit there and his lazy boy and like drink a beer and communicates in grunts. And the woman's sitting there like, she wants to chit chat and she wants to like talk. And she's like, why won't you talk to me? You know, it's like, ah. and he's just like, oh my God, leave me alone. I'm tired. And she's like, oh my God, why don't you love me? And all of these gender dynamic issues, right? And he goes, well, if you think about it, right? We know that we haven't changed evolutionarily at all in the time since we've been homo sapiens, right? Because that's an incredibly slow process. And yet the world around us is changing super fast. So in nomadic tribes, what happens? We wake up in the morning, the men go off together to hunt. And they're mostly silent because hunting, 
and they're communicating in grunts because that's a lower frequency and it's not as easily heard by animals. Meanwhile, us ladies, we wake up, we strap babies to our back and we go gathering. And what are we doing? We're chit-chatting and we're developing language, right? And so as a result, people say, you know, women can always win arguments, right? Because we'll like, we'll switch it. Like we'll change it very subtly and you won't know that we changed it. And suddenly you're winning an argument. It's not even what you started arguing about. <laughs> but like there's that sophistication of language that really isn't, isn't shared. It's not better or worse. We certainly distort that into, you know, manipulation and other things, but it is interesting to see. And my apologies, I didn't mean for it to go on so long, but I just want to name that we are where we are because that's made sense for the longest time and now it no longer makes sense. Very true. And so that whole transition now of having to learn to be some other way than evolutionarily we're built for, it's an odd place, isn't it? Well, yeah, and I love that you bring up that point because... The book is for everybody, but it has that particular message about women's empowerment. And I also added a chapter specifically on what it means to be a man in the 21st century, because some of the the definitions and the misunderstandings we have about what it means to be a man are just, like you're saying, they're anachronistic. They come from from another time. And because the world is changing so rapidly, and as women are stepping into their power and reclaiming their power and jobs are being outsourced and jobs are being replaced by computers and machines, a lot of men are struggling and trying to figure out, like, who am I and what do I do? And if I'm not the main provider, then what's my role? And as women, it's like, I think more than 50% of college graduates now are women. And I think in, in heterosexual marriages, we're approaching 40% of households in which women earn more than their husbands and their partners. You're kidding. That's at 40%? I'm pretty sure. that, And I think that was like 2017. Mm. If I remember correctly, I've got the exact numbers in the book, but but I'm pretty sure that's it. And so what does it mean to me being a man? And part of the problem is that, you know, we've got these limited and limiting definitions of what it means to be a man. One of which is like, you got to walk around like this uncaring, unfeeling robot. Because somewhere along the way, somebody decided that the emotions were weakness. And that was ingrained into men. Little boys don't cry. Why is that, right? Because only little girls cry. And because you don't want to be like that way. And that's weakness. It's like, wait a minute, so many wrong assumptions about that. First of all, the emotions are not weak and they're not strength. They're not good. They're not bad. They're just energies. Like like everything else in creation, just energy. Depending on how we express our emotions, they have a a good or not so good effect. So that, and then this other assumption that the feminine is weakness, it's like, wait a minute, you want to talk courage? You want to to talk strength? You want to talk resilience? You want to talk power? Let's talk about the power of creation that resides in the female body. Yeah, boy. And I'm not going to do it justice because there's nobody like Betty White, but I read something that she was being interviewed. (laughs) One of those group interviews. And somebody said something about having balls. And she said, wait a minute. Where did we get this association between having balls and and courage and strength? You thump those little things and the guy bends over, collapses in pain. They're the weakest part of the entire body. (laughs) Yes. I know. And then she goes, you want to talk strength? Let's talk vaginas. Those things take a pounding. Yeah, for real. <laughs> you can just keep going. It's just, I'm just like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. Just, just bring it on. <laughs> I fucking love Betty White. <laughs> She's amazing. <laughs> she is incredible. Incredible. <laughs> and of all the silly things, 
it comes from it, doesn't it? That idea that you know, men were strong and strong did survive better. And so it was seen as like a better thing. Like that's better. You know, if you're a man, you're better because you're stronger. And it's like, now it's like strength has nothing to do with whether or not you survive. Like now survival is like a, you know, just totally turned on its head. But it's so fascinating that little boys shouldn't cry thing. Like of all the, just as you said, like not only is it only energy, but it's like everybody's got them. It's like deciding that like women should be ashamed of their skin. I can't believe you have skin, you know, like a boy. It's just like, what does that even mean? Like, I have it. I don't want to tell you. Like, should I not have it? Should I feel badly? Should I, is boy skin better? I, I don't know. But like, of all the natural things to criticize and shame, emotions, huh? Seriously. <laughs> and here's the thing about the emotions. You know, what used to be spiritual teaching that everything is energy. Now we know from quantum physics that it's true. It's all energy. That means our bodies, our emotions, everything is energy. Energy cannot be destroyed. We also know that from physics, it can only change form. So what happens when we swallow our emotions, they just don't go away just because we're afraid of feeling or communicating what we're feeling because who knows you know, what we think will happen if we actually express what's going on with us. You know, we probably fear that the world would come to a screeching halt and we would, people couldn't handle it and we'd end up alone. But when we suppress our emotions, they get stuck. They get lodged in the tissues of the body. And after a lifetime of doing that, we walk around with layers upon layers upon layers of repressed emotional crap. And here we are, you know, trying to have a relationship in the present moment. And all of it is getting filtered through that lifetime of repressed emotions and withheld communications and built up resentment and unhealed past trauma. And so we project that onto each other. And so it's amazing to me that any relationships work. It doesn't surprise me that more than half of marriages end up in divorce. What surprises me is that 100% don't. Yeah, really? <laughs> because we haven't been taught about relationships. Seriously. We haven't been taught how to approach them, how to hold them, how to contextualize them. Yeah. And we haven't been taught how to clear ourselves of this emotional crap. And then the other thing that happens is we suppress, we suppress, we suppress. And then the next unfortunate one comes by and they just say the wrong thing or the rubbers just the wrong way and boom, volcanic eruption causing harm to our relationships. Or suppress, 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 that energy has to come out one way or the other. And then begins to seep out and start showing up as physical symptoms, heart attacks, ulcers, cancer. And so we've got to get on top of this. We've got to learn how to have our emotions and how to express them in a way that's mature and courageous and responsible and compassionate. Mm. So what do you think is the best way to do that on a global level? Like the responsibility for me, that stands out. I'm always proud of myself when I take like a, not exactly me doing it, sort of usually channeled or something, but when uh, a sort of a complex spiritual concept comes down to like very simple and communicable terms, I'm always like, oh, that's great. That really wraps it up. Like the statement, you know, you teach people how to treat you. That's a, a huge concept that is profoundly true, said in a, such a simple way that you're just like, now I understand that. And so with that responsibility, like for me, it's the exact extent to which you are unwilling to take responsibility for your life is the exact extent to which you are a victim of it. Now you're going for the jugular. Exactly, right? <laughs> that, that's, that's so my style too. I'm like, great, what's the point here? Like, let's get, let's get right down to it. Because <laughs> I find that's the most efficient way. Like anytime it's, it's not you, you just can't fix it. And I, I guess maybe I spent so many years feeling like a total victim. I wasn't even inclined toward victimhood more than usual, but I just didn't think it had anything to do. I just had no idea what the problem was. And so when people come and they're like, I just don't know what the problem is. I'm like, ooh, 
I got you. We're going to figure out what it is because that's the most painful part, right? People would fix their problem that they knew how. I always see that as like, that's what you and I are really doing is like teaching people how to do it on their own. Yeah, I was just going to say that what you're talking about, that personal accountability, personal responsibility, and popping out of victim mindset is probably the most difficult thing to do. And it totally connects to the ego. So it's part of humanity. And we're built this way or we're hardwired this way. But if we're on a journey of personal empowerment and self-discovery, as long as we're holding anything outside of us, whether somebody or some system, right, whether responsible for our happiness, for our state of being, we just gave our power away. And we get stuck into that poor me, woe is me, if only, if only mom had done this or daddy had done that or the teacher, the minister, society, sexism, homophobia, racism, if only. And not to deny any of those things, right? Those things exist. The system is stacked unfairly at this point. And human beings do horrible shit to each other. They do. So it's not denying any of that. What it's saying is that if we want to be free, if we want to step into our power, We've got to, at some point, say, you know what? That sucked, and I really wish it hadn't happened, or that sucks, and I wish the system was different. And what am I going to do in response? Right? Because one thing we know for sure that we can count on is life is going to continue throwing curveballs our way. But even the simple reframe that no matter what happened in the past, no matter what happens going forward, we always get to choose how we show up in response. And from that level, we're popping out of victim consciousness and victim mindset. Hell yeah. That's exactly right. That's been my direct experience as well. And I realized something else is you're saying that with the, the sexism and the racism and things like that. I think that's, I notice a slight charge. It's funny, my defenses are so subtle now. They used to be like so obnoxious and in everybody's face. And now it's like, oh, I notice a little tension when that comes up. But I notice a little tension on the sexism thing. And I think it's around the victimhood because of, right, of course it's a thing. Of course it's a thing women will sit in a boardroom and not be listened to. Like, obviously that's... So I I definitely don't mean to deny the experience. And the social, cultural part of it is in the limelight so well, right? People are highly aware of how people are treated and there's movements and they're around. That's great. It's well advertised. And yet the personal, how am I contributing to my being or feeling like a victim? And without that piece, it doesn't matter how many you know, parades we have or movements we start or it's like, it's just now we're just talking about the problem more. Ugh, men are the worst. It's like, I mean, some men are the worst sometimes. You're probably the worst sometimes too. Like it's, it shifts the conversation again to where you're just a little bit powerless. You're stepping out of your power, as you said. No, you're absolutely right. And this is not about knocking men at all. No. Because what's interesting is that without minimizing the cost to women over the last several thousand years of patriarchy and and the fact that the level of inequity all over the world, it's still like out of control and unacceptable. The truth is that men have also paid a steep price for this system, for this patriarchal system of, and this toxic way of expressing what it means to be a man. And so, for example, let's look at just a couple of numbers quickly. The rate of suicide in the U.S. is way higher among men. Like men commit suicide four times as frequently. In fact, 70% of the suicides in the U.S. are committed by middle-aged white men that still hold the majority of the power in the world. So what's up with that? You'd think that those who hold the power would have it better off and would be happier and more successful and more fulfilled. But what's going on with that? And if you look at longevity, women outlive men by five years in this country, by seven years globally. 
And I think part of the reason for that is because of these, what we were talking about before, these limiting and twisted ways that we've misunderstood about what it means to be a man. And so what I did in that chapter is like rethink some of these traditional roles that men have played. So, all right, so maybe you can't be the provider. Maybe your wife, your spouse, your partner generates more money than you do. It's like, are you going to tell me that that's how you define what it means to be a man? Like, come on, by the size of your paycheck? (laughs) Give me a break. And there's so many other ways that we can be providers. Can we provide a safe environment in the home? Can we become that rock in the home where we can support our partners, our spouses, our children, our families to grow, to evolve, to become more than, than they can even imagine that could be. It's like, talk about providing. Now we're talking about being a provider. So it's just a matter of rethinking these traditional male roles and upgrading them for the 21st century. So how is it for you watching this transition happen? You're a male, clearly you're in the Western world. You're of Latino descent, I believe. Yeah, Cuban born. Cuban born. What is your perspective? Women are taking over. (laughs) You know, you see the imbalance being corrected. Maybe there's an overcorrection or maybe that's just how it needs to happen to get it done. But what is it like to watch this happen, to watch the sort of, to grow up such that you are the one in power in that way and then to sort of watch that shift? Yeah. And I think of it as a, like, it's not just between men and women. This is about the masculine and the feminine energies that yes, it is are found <laughs> and that, and that are found in all of creation, right? So no matter what kind of body we're in, we have masculine and feminine energies that course through us, and that's what's been out of balance. I don't think we're anywhere close to women taking over. I don't think we're in anywhere close to women being even fifty fifty. Like in the U.S., I think it's still seventy cents to the dollar for the same job. And if we look at, you know, our political leaders, it's not, not nowhere near equity in terms of CEOs of major companies, not even close. I don't even know that it's 10%. But to me, that's the balance that's needed for all of our sake, because this more unhealthy way of expressing masculinity has impacted all of our lives, right? That is what colors this relationship we have with the earth, which is more like uh, something to be conquered and subjugated and controlled. And it's kind of a like wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, relationship to the earth. What else can we take from it? And, and we're going to penetrate it and take stuff out of it. And that is just no longer sustainable. And so that to me is it's the necessity for balancing the masculine and feminine, because the way that we've been going, it's not sustainable. And the planet's going to be fine. It might take a, a few million years, but life will find homeostasis. Life will continue growing. Even consciousness, I suspect, will continue evolving. Maybe it turns out to be um, an enlightened cockroach planet. Who knows? Whether we make it as a species, that's what's up, right? Because we're just now beginning to witness what we have unleashed on the environment. And I don't think we need any clear examples in all these half of the American West is up in flames. You know, these super storms that are just so much more powerful and so much more frequent. I just heard something on the radio today that in the last 30 years, that frequency of powerful storms is like five times as high as it was 30 years ago. It's like, wow. Like, wow. Like, we've got to wake up to what's going on and we've got to do something about this. And to me, like, when I think about this strategically, like, what is one thing 
that we can do that will then impact everything else. And that's when I land on the empowerment of women and this balancing, this reclaiming of the sacred feminine, of the feminine energy that we have exiled and that we have turned into weakness over the last few thousand years. And that just doesn't work anymore. We can't go on this way. Yeah, I think that description, that was very astute. I really like that. The description of how we are on the planet being kind of like a, you know, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, like a distorted, almost like kind of a toxic masculinity type of expression, right? Not that there's anything to the listeners, not that there's anything wrong with one night stands or things like that, but done in a way that's unconscious, done in a way that's not connected or however you want to express that. I actually have a client who's a firefighter who shared with me at one point on a call that you know, he's out there in the West. He's like not like a local firefighter. He like goes out to the big ones. And he said, because of climate change, fires aren't like it used to be fires were very cleansing for the forest. Like they weren't a bad thing. Lightning hits and da, 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 and you clear it out and then new stuff grows. Now fires are burning hotter. And the difference that's being made is that as the fires come through, they're scorching the earth. They're scorching the topsoil, which is where everything we depend on comes from. And so nothing is growing back in these places that are being burned. And that's where our food is grown. That is where our plants, our trees are grown. I mean... Oh my God. I know. I felt the same. As he sort of said that, I just, I just held space. I was like, I just need you to just give me a second here because that's... <laughs> I was just on a call with my healer last week, just working with my relationship with sort of environmentalism being like, this is the one part, piece of reality I still have a hard time tolerating of like sitting and being like, it is what it is, you know, which I can do with all the other thing that used to be so hard. And now it's like, boy, that's really, <laughs> that's, that's still a tough one. It's tough. I mean, to think of like, I don't have any children myself, but I have many nieces and nephews and no many kids, many children. And to think of the world that we're leaving them is just, just, oh my God, it's, it's gut-wrenching and just not okay. It's not okay. And that's the place to come a great teacher who said acceptance is not approval. It's happening. That's the reality. And as you said, it doesn't need to be okay. You don't need to like it. And you know, the piece around empowering women is huge too. Uh, just the piece that uh, you were talking about, about the empowerment of women. Here's a thought I have, and I'd like to run this by you, see what you think. In some ways, the men who come to me to work are finding balance between their masculine and feminine, right? As you said, often they're taught that emotions are bad or talking about your feelings is bad or whatever. And so they're distortedly in the, the masculine, they're overly masculine. They're like, don't have that vulnerable feeling, right? So they're coming to me to, to awaken and through the awakening, there's a balancing out. Here's why it's super fucking important to feel your feelings because otherwise you're not experiencing life, period, right? It's just not happening. And I wonder if I've sort of looked at the female side and seen, I wonder if the empowerment of women, as you say, is actually the women stepping more into their masculine, stepping into their strength, into their power, and when to speak and when to say, nope, excuse me, I was standing there already, or whatever it is that you need to say. But I wonder if that's the balance that's coming up from your side of things. I think so. I think so. It's, it's women, understandably, have had enough with this subservient role that it's still the case in many, in many places in the world. You know, where women are good to for two things, for cooking and cleaning and for bearing children and for having sex. And that's just not okay. That's just like, I mean, we're writing off half of humanity, more than half, just a little bit over half of humanity. Like what a waste of human potential at this time where it's like all hands on deck. Like yeah. <laughs> things could not be more critical. And I guess they will get... Mayday, mayday. <laughs> exactly. So it's just not okay from any way that we look at it. It's like 
this imbalance between the masculine and the feminine is just not sustainable anymore. And I think, by the way, I think that's what we're experiencing right now, though, the, you know, all these systems that that were more like patriarchal structures that are just no longer sustainable. So it's why we're living in such scary times, because it's we're probably witnessing the end of the patriarchy. And we don't want to go back to imbalance. We don't want to go back to a matriarchal system. We want balance. And that balance, to go back to something that you started to say, has to start within each one of us. Otherwise, it's not going to happen globally. It's got to start here. And so we've got to reclaim all of us, men and women and everything in between. We've got to reclaim this balance between the masculine and the feminine energies because it's much to the surprise of some humans, we're part of the universe, we're part of the cosmos, and everywhere else in the cosmos, those energies are balanced. I wonder if, you know, as you said, everything in between, I'm curious about what are your thoughts on the trans movement that's coming out as far as the masculine and the feminine energy? Is that kind of an expression of, is that just happening in Western cultures? I'm assuming it's mostly Western Western cultures because we're allowed to like talk about things in a lot of places. A lot of places you can't do that. And I, don't, I know nothing about this community particularly other than wonderful, good for you, do your thing. I wonder how that is in the masculine as feminine. Is that an expression of a more balanced type of person who doesn't really feel drawn one way or the other, do you think? In some cases, but I don't think that's the case in all cases. I think some gravitate more towards one or the other and f- identify more with one or the other and feel more of those energies with the other. And in some cases, they assume the stereotypical expression of what a man or a woman looks like. But the way that the trans community serves us, and by the way, I speak as a, a member of the LGBTQ community, as an openly gay man. So the way that the trans community has served us, or one of the ways, is that it's forcing all of us to rethink and to expand the way that we think of gender. It's like we had, and still for the most part, have this binary male, female, man, woman, boy, girl, and that you do this thing and you're supposed to wear these colors if you're a boy and these colors if you're a girl. And, and what the, one of the many ways in which the trans community is serving us is like, wait a minute, it is not a binary. And throughout history, there were some American, Native American tribes that had more than two genders. So this binary hasn't always been the case. You know, they had really? four or six ways of thinking about gender, yes. I was unaware of that. Yeah. Huh. That interests me a lot. The Native American community interests me a whole lot. Indigenous people sort of in general, but that sort of those tribes, there's a strong resonance with me there. Yeah. One of the terms that is is not an ancient Native American term, but in, in most Native American tribes, you know, there were like 500 or so. More recently, we came up with a name called, you know, or somebody came up with this name. I don't know who did, but it's two-spirited, which is sort of like an umbrella term for what we call LGBTQ, right? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, people who don't belong to this binary. And so two-spirited is because they were thought to contain the essence of both masculine and feminine. And there were certain qualities and certain roles that they fulfilled because of that. In most Native American contexts, they were honored. They were revered for the roles that they played. I appreciate that a lot. I think that's a symbol of our growth moving beyond the binary, to be able to sit with it and know that that is not everything. I had a great teacher who said, as much as one can, quote, measure one's spirituality, the measure of one's spirituality can be said to be the extent to which they can tolerate duality, Hmm. right? Yeah. So how can I, you know, I love the planet. I want to hug trees. Other people enjoy killing those trees so that we can make toilet paper and wipe our butts with it or whatever it is that they're making. Can I tolerate 
the fact that that is a reality that is happening and that I love it and I wish that weren't happening. Like, can I hold that type of place? And so I think this whole conversation about moving beyond the binary, I think that's an indicator of, you know, where consciousness is going, right? I think so. And many looking at different traditions, there, there are several spiritual traditions that point to this beyond the binary. So, for example, when we think about Taoism, the yin-yang, you know, that symbol that we all know, which represents the balance between the feminine and the masculine. It's not a geometric, harsh, you know, line dividing the two. It's like a squiggly S-shaped, lets us know that there's a little bit of one in the other. And then to either highlight that more, to put a dot of each of one in the other, so that it's not a binary. And in Hinduism, there's this concept called, don't know how to pronounce it because I've only read it, but it's something like Kritiya Prataki, which means that the more we evolve spiritually, the more that we embody and manifest the feminine, that the qualities of the divine, which are both masculine and feminine. And even if we go by the mystical teachings of Christianity, we go by the, the Gospel of Thomas. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. Yeah, you know, Jesus is said to have said that not until we marry within ourselves, the masculine and the feminine, will we find the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, of course, not being some mythical place that we go to when we die, but a state of consciousness, um, a state of being to which, by the way, he never claimed exclusive access. Like he said, these and greater things you'll do. And the kingdom of God is within. So there's so much to be said about this balancing of the masculine and the feminine and the need for that. Yeah. That's such a great term, Christian mysticism. It separates out the bullshit so well, just focuses right on the important piece that actually has some semblance of divine left in it, which I love because there's so much distortion around that. But it's good to feel that I felt tears coming as you said that, to feel the actual, the spiritual purpose as opposed to the human agenda of obviously not only that religion, but often so much here in the States. I love that. So when you move to coaching or when you begin coaching and you've got a, a woman who comes to you and you can feel there's a, there's a lack of balance, because this will be the same for men, right? And you can feel there's a lack of balance in the feminine or the masculine. What is your, of course, it's going to be customized to the client, but what is your approach if you can generalize it? Well, you know, the first step in all of transformation and all of healing and all of therapy, really, and all of growth is self-awareness, right? We can't do anything about what we can't see, but what we don't see. So that's the first step is understanding ourselves and why we do the things we do. And then part of that process is whether it's about the masculine or the feminine, whether it's about power and understanding why we give our power away and in which situations do we tend to do that. The first step is becoming aware of it so that we can then begin to see the patterns. So switching you know, a little bit to the power conversation now, you're like somebody who was on a journey of personal empowerment. The first step is you know, understanding the mind, understanding the ego, understanding why we do the things we do, then understanding that there are differences in power. And because most of us have an ambivalent relationship to it, we want it, but we're afraid of it. And I think that what we fear is that if we really stepped into our power fully, if we really be all of who we are, that other people couldn't hack it and they couldn't handle it and that we might end up rejected and alone. Yep, I had that one. Yeah, yeah. We also fear that we might abuse it and cause harm. And no wonder. All we got to do is on any given day, turn on the news to witness at least one abuse of power. And then add to that the fact that we've been conditioned to believe that power is a negative thing, that power is a bad thing. Absolute power corrupts absolutely what they forgot to tell us about that quote from Lord Agden 
is that he was talking specifically about political power, not personal power. And so when you add to that, what we were talking about before, about turning the emotions into weakness, we hate conflict, we avoid confrontation. What happens when you put all that into a mix is that we end up giving our power away, our inherent, innate power that no one can give to us. Nobody can take it away. We are the only ones who can give it away. And the sad part, the tragic part, the lame part is that we give it away for an illusion of security. We play small. We say yes when inside we really feel no for a false sense of acceptance. And we settle. We settle for less, just for for morsels of pseudo-love. And so what this book talks about is how there is a way that we can step into our power that can be a match with who we are that doesn't require that that we abuse it or corrupt it that doesn't require that it's a kind of power that we associate with hierarchy and fear and control and force and manipulation that there is a way that we can step into power that doesn't require for us to push anybody down step on them so that we prop ourselves up and feel powerful and so that's what the message of this book is and so like like you're saying it begins with self-awareness and then like like then start looking at our patterns like do i tend to give my power away in which type of situations that's one of the first things that that i do with a client either what i want or in a weekend group retreat like do we tend to give our power away like in intimate romantic sexual relationships like many of us do or do we tend to give our power away where when it comes to authority figures parental figures bosses coaches religious leaders that type of thing do we tend to give our power away with, with our friends, with our peers, out of, out of fear of rejection? So that's the first step, like understanding ourselves, understanding why we do the things we do, understanding the patterns so that then we can do something about it. So one of the things I want to throw back here, you talked about in the very beginning was, was men putting women on pedestals. And I have a lot of clients who do that. And something you just said triggered that, that little memory there. Could you share from your experience of your clients, what women you work with say about being put on a pedestal, how it makes them feel, why they don't like it. Because I think a lot of men are confused as to why that's not a good thing. And it's a little bit of an advanced concept as to why that's not a good thing. I wonder if you might be willing to share some experiences or some words that they've used to describe that. Yeah. You know, I think the reason that that doesn't work because it's not just a pedestal. Like It's complex and layered. Like, not everybody, of course, and that's changing. And a lot of men are really, really growing and evolving. And a lot of men still want, they want their mother to cook for them and to be this perfect virgin, saintly figure. And then they want a whore in the bedroom. And so it, it's an impossible, impossible expectation. Oh, no, I, I do both very well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And what a responsibility to put on somebody rather than just letting people be who they are and giving people a chance to express themselves naturally so that what's inside is a match for and it's congruent with how we are in the world. And it's not just men. I mean, men also and women also have this unrealistic expectations of what, of what a man is to be. And women are also complicit. Men are not the only ones to hold responsible at this. Women are also complicit. And, and many women have willingly forsaken their power because of that illusion of security of being provided for and taken care of. This is not about blaming men. It's a system that we have grown into and which is just no longer sustainable. 
And that's what the times are asking of us and demanding of us is that we rethink these things and that we work it out for ourselves. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I agree with with what you say, you know, as far as the, the women being complicit in that also. I mean, the idea of it sounds great. And this is something I did f- for a while as well. You know, men were just like really almost admiring, which felt great because my ego was in place and that was great. And then after a while, I would get sort of, you know, I would kind of outgrow them and I would get kind of bored and I would just kind of, and I would move on. At some point, I was like, why do my relationships keep ending? Here we are asking the question. And it was like, even though that felt really good, it wasn't really what I wanted. And I think there was some negative pleasure in there as well because it felt good for like a lot of years, right? Nobody talks about negative pleasure. And I have a, I have a whole podcast episode called, I don't know, The Downfalls of Positive Thinking or The Bullshit of Positive Thinking or something like that because nobody sort of talks about that. You know, the things that really keep us in place and still do feel good. But there is that, that real search for, for an equal. And I also, you know, it's looking to me like, you tell me what you think, that the type of relationship that's being desired by a lot of people is also just a much higher level relationship, right? To where that may have been a great one. Kings and queens, I'm sure have had, you know, the king will have a concubine or a, or a mistress and she's the trophy, right? She's got everything she wants. And that, that's a, that was considered a great life, right? Okay, you're not going to starve. You're not going to get beaten to death. You, you know, you have sex with a guy and you live in the castle, like whoop, sold, you know? And now I feel like ladies this in this day and age would be like, well, I don't really know if he like sees me like at my core though. Like I'm not, I'm not feeling seen. I know yeah. the bonbons are there and the dates and the palm fronds. And, and so, you know, it's just kind of interesting because, and I'm sure this will come, you know, and, and is already coming with its own set of issues, but it is kind of interesting to see expectations of relationships shift. And I wonder if that has to do with our divorce rate or if that has to do with monogamy, which is, you know, another fascinating conversation and whether or not that should or should not be a thing. Boy, whew, whew, a lot of change, a lot of change. Tough time oh to be God. incarnated as a human. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And no wonder people are confused. And no wonder, you know, there's a certain percentage of humanity who is wanting to look backwards and go back to the way things were when things were so clear and when we were all in little boxes about how to be and what, the, our, what our roles were. So that explains that 30% of humanity who just want to, no, 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 tell me what to do. And that are supporting dictatorial, totalitarian regimes, because that's what tends to happen in times of dramatic social change. You also see, for example, in in those times, you see a a decline in the traditional religions, and there's a rise in in the religions that are more alternative. Because of that, there's the percentage of people who want to be told what's right and what's wrong and what to do and what not to do. And yeah, so it's understandable. Okay. And we don't forget that what that old joke was, you know, that Chinese blessing, may you live in, in times of dramatic change or something like that. Incredible opportunity for growth and transformation and heroic. You know, that's why this book is the first of a series that's titled, the, the title of the series is Calling All Heroes. Like, what does it mean to live heroically in the 21st century? when most of us don't have the horse hitched outside and we certainly don't have the armors and the demons to slay except the ones in our own heads. And so that's the first book is about personal empowerment. And the second one that I'm halfway done with is on specifically on relationships. Oh, brilliant. So give us a sneak peek. Where are you going with the second one that's going to complement what you've laid out in the first? Well, I think that most of us tend to give our power away in relationships because those those are the ones, I mean, who gets us, right? Who gets our goat? Closer the family is, you know, our, our parents, our children, our siblings, and our spouses, our partners, our boyfriends, our girlfriends. 
And I think those are even more intimate because they address like our most deep, the most core issues are the ones that are impacted by our intimate relationships. So that's what the book is about, you know, like understanding patterns, understanding how to approach a relationship so that, you know, it's like, you know, this, you teach this stuff too. Like if we're approaching a relationship as in, you're going to make me happy, forget it, hang it up. There isn't anyone out there that's going to make us happy. And I hope anybody watching this or listening to this has learned that. And how unfair to put that responsibility on somebody else. You are going to make me happy. Like, yikes. And so there's, you know, there's ways we talk about how to do relationships consciously and what that means and the different levels of doing relationships consciously. Talk about sacred sexuality. You know, because this very connected to everything that you and I've been talking about. And there's this split in the last several thousand years between the physical and the spiritual. So anything that we consider spiritual, we've, we've put away from us, right? It's like, how much further could we have placed heaven? And where the hell is heaven anyway? Yes. <laughs> and so anything of the physical is something that's less than. It's something that's to be conquered and subjugated and controlled. And then when it comes to the, to the human body, we animalize it. And when it comes to sexuality, we demonize it. So no wonder we have sexual issues as a species. And what's ironic about that is that before the patriarchal times, back in the times you know, where we honored the goddess and the sacred feminine, that split wasn't there. And there are even some, you know, some Eastern religions in which sexuality is not only not a bad thing and not sinful, but it's a very valid path to the sacred and, and to yoga, to union, which is what the word yoga means. And in the indigenous traditions all over the world, they don't have that split between the physical and the spiritual. To them, everything is sacred. You know, the trees and the rocks and the, and the creepy crawlies and, and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and the body. And the genital. Even if we go by the Western, the more Western traditions that claim that God is omnipresent, that God is everywhere. But don't tell me that God is everywhere except mm-hmm. for the bedroom and the genitals. Mm-hmm. Like, come on. Unless you're doing it in his name and breeding from it. <laughs> right. In the missionary position. In the missionary position only. <laughs> only. Which, by the way, is the only legal way to do it in the state of Virginia. By the way, if you have sex in any other position, you're literally breaking the law. Seriously, still? 2021. Yikes. Yikes. Scary. I've broken some laws. <laughs> Not gonna lie about it. <laughs> yeah, I have to admit to, to doing that myself. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's a solid take on, on relationships. You're super aligned, which I knew that you were before, but I think it's exactly right. Where is your... You said trilogy, right? Yeah. What's the topic of the third? The third book is on life purpose and conscious leadership. Okay. So funny story. So you've got your first book, Relationship with Self, if I can generalize a little. Your second, Relationship with Other. And your third, The Larger Consciousness type of thing. So I have a program called The Art of Authenticity, which is a 12-week program that I teach on you know, how to identify and express your authentic self as a default. And the first four weeks are on your relationship with yourself. And the second four weeks are on your relationship with the other. And the third four weeks are on your relationship with the divine. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> because to I me, it's exactly that. right. It's like, how do you relate within yourself? It's the, that wraps up everything. Interestingly, we were talking about Barbara Brennan earlier and her book, Hands of Light. And I went to her school for, for four years. And that's actually how she shapes her school as well. Huh, I didn't know that. So the first year, the whole first, it's a four-year program. You go first whole year is relationship with yourself. And then second whole year is your relationship with the other. And then your third is the divine. And then your fourth is a different level. 
but she puts it out all in that way. And I just thought that was super great. It just really wow. wraps it up in a lot of ways. Yeah. Interesting. So should men read your book? Of course. I think it's for probably... everybody. It really is. Just it's for everybody. It just has that particular message about women's empowerment. But it's for everybody. But everybody needs to hear that, right? Everybody needs to hear that. <laughs> That's important from the perspective of the collective and from the perspective of finding balance within ourselves. And yeah, even like the first third of the book, which is all about the ego mind, it's imperative reading. It's like whether you understand this, what the ego is through this book or any other book, if you want to have relationships that have a chance of working, if you want to have a sense of personal empowerment, if you want to have a life that is filled with meaning and purpose, you've got to understand the ego because that is what stands in the way of all of that. That's what stands in the way of our self-acceptance and our personal empowerment and our happiness. Mm. Here, here. Well said. I'm going to read it. Will you send me a copy? Of course. Yes. Asked, of him course. On the, asked him on the air, so I couldn't say no. Ah, did that on purpose. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Okay, so this book sounds incredible. This is called Awakening the Soul of Power. I'm like super excited to read this. I'm really excited to get my hands on that. Christian de la Huerta, thank you so, so, so much. Your perspective and the work that you are doing with women, men, everybody is very much aligned with mine. It's very much aligned with a lot of awakened people that I know. And it's really, really, to my view, addressing the core of the problem at its source, which is kind of what I'm all about. So I just love it. Thank you for the work that you do. Thank you for all of the collaborations that you're totally going to do with me in the future. I'm just going to go ahead. And... <laughs> I'm, pl- I'm putting a plug out. It can't hurt to try. Can't hurt to try. See folks standing in your power. Might work or not, but it's worth a shot. Hey, that is totally claiming your power. Totally. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. I'm saying this, these retreats with men and women, the women go off with you and the men come off back with me and then we come together and, and the richness, you know, because I have programs that are men only so that there's a safe space for people to come together. But boy, Doing that work between genders with consciousness. I mean, look at everything we just can't. I think we could go for another two hours if we wanted to, talking more about gender relations easily, right? And so there's just so much there. It's the crux of so many issues. So I love it. This mirror reflection here is really great. So thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm so excited to read your book and looking forward to seeing, seeing where you go in the future. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. And thank you. I love the conversation and the connection. Thank you for doing what you do. Just not only all your coaching work, but having the podcast because your willingness to do that. So many lives are touched and impacted and so many people's loads are, are lightened. You know, the stuff, all that stuff that we've been carrying and schlepping. And so, yeah, and I look forward to seeing what kind of spiritual mischief and spiritual badassery we can create. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again. And I will look forward to having you on again in the future should you choose to. All right. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Art of Attraction. This is Dominique Drew signing off and reminding you that if you love this podcast, please hit that subscribe button, rate us five stars, and most importantly, share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. See you next time.